If you've been following us the last uh, couple of weeks, you know we're in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, be finding Ephesians chapter 5. And we're looking today at, uh, once again, marriage as a, an expression and an illustration of Christ and His church. Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. A man shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And Paul is quoting here in Ephesians 5, 32. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where God made Adam and Eve. But he quotes this this passage from Genesis to show not only that the pattern of marriage begun in the garden with Adam and Eve is carried over and extended right into our day, into our lives and our marriages, But he also quotes it to show that in the very beginning, verse 32 says that he's referring to Christ and the church, that God actually is making in marriage an illustration of Christ and his church. So uh, this is something you will not get normally in uh, purposes of marriage is that my marriage is for the purpose of Christ and His church, to proclaim the relationship, to illustrate the relationship, to reveal the dynamics of Christ and His church. My theme as we began a couple of weeks ago was how to be happy in marriage. Uh, John Piper writes this. He says that Paul is not building a dam against the river of happiness here, but he's, but he's building a channel for it to flow in. In other words, God wants happy. Uh, uh, Paul says God wants us to be happy in marriages, but, but there are parameters and there's a channel and there's boundaries in which that river can run freely and flow unhindered. And that's what the apostle is leading us to. The Bible is not a hindrance to your happiness. It is a roadmap to it. And if you want to know what marriage is about, Paul says, God will tell us. And if you want the illustration of it, look at at Adam and Eve. And the essence is that God is illustrating the great redemption story of Jesus and his people. And that is just difficult to wrap our minds around, but there it is. Now, why, if Adam and Eve are pictures of Christ and the church, as Paul puts it here in verse 32, this refers to Christ and the church, if that is so, What exactly is the role of Eve in the life of the man? Why did God make a woman? Perhaps you have asked that question many times. 
Genesis 2.18 is a key verse here. It is not good that man be alone, so I shall make a helper or a helpmeet. The, the Hebrew word here being ezer or ezer, E-Z-E-R. Um, now, there is an exception, and let me just say this uh, so we can move on past it, but in 1 Corinthians 7, there is a gift of celibacy. Now, what that is, it means that God calls you and equips you and strengthens you so that you're just totally into his kingdom and into his work and you have no desire or calling for marriage. Normally, we would say, however, God does call us into marriage, but there are those exceptions such as missions and situations like the Apostle Paul, for example. But so normally, this is the way God designs the husband-wife relationship. Unless you have the gift of singleness, here's the way he designs it. He has called the woman to be the easier, the help meet. In fact, it might be good to get the whole background. If you want to turn over, if you have your Bible and want to turn over to it, if you don't have your Bible, you'll just have to trust us. Um, <clears throat> Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper and an easier. And it, then it says that out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now notice how this fits together. God says, I'm going to make a helper for the man. Then he says, now God had made all these animals, and so now he starts bringing them to the man to see how he categorizes them. I'm going to make you a helpmate, Adam. Okay, great. Then in comes the giraffe. I'm going to guess that's not it. Along walks the skunk. Again, no. A cat. Uh, hesitation. <laughs> Not really. <clears throat> what about a dog? That's man's best friend. New. Following the Bible here, guys. Following the Bible. I'm going to make you a helpmeet. Notice verse 20. The last statement for Adam after he goes through all those animals. Now, that's an exhausting task. There was not found an easier, a helpmate for Adam. So, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam when he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib he took from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone. This is it. Finally, one translation says, finally I've arrived. She has come. This is the one. Now, this word here, easier, I need to say something about that. It's an incredible word, and I was amazed at two things. One is that the word ezer is almost always used of God and translated God as our helper, our ezer, E-Z-E-R. 
For example, Psalm 10, 14, to you the helpless, you have you, O God, have been the helper, the easier of the fatherless, the orphan. You are helper. And the other thing that was amazing about this word is that it implies that you are weak and fragile and frail and you need help. Uh, the person who needs help, uh, Psalm 10, verse 14 again, the helpless commits himself to you, O God. You have been the helper, the easier of the fatherless. Well, that's the orphan. He's helpless. He's vulnerable in society. It, this word implies that someone is especially fearful and fragile. Um, Give me Genesis 49. I think we have this on the slide. Let me, let's read this one together because this is, a, this is used in Genesis. It's the word Ezer, and it shows how, it's, how the word is used. It's about Joseph. Remember, Joseph was one of the 12 sons. And Genesis 49, 23, it says, The archers attacked him and shot at him. They hated him. But his bow remained unmoved. They were shooting their arrows at Joseph. Joseph was shooting his arrows back at them. His bow was unmoved. He stood in the face of the fire and took the hits and took the shots and did not flinch. You see, that's, what, that's the idea in Genesis 49. And it tells you how. His arms and hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. What was the secret to Joseph being able to stand in the withering blast of arrows coming his direction? It was as if God came and surrounded him and put his hands on Joseph's hands and his arms around Joseph's shoulders and Joseph was able to stand because God was his easier helper. See, what does this tell us about the role of the easier, the helpmeet? It tells us two things. One is we men are fragile creatures. We are little boys at heart. We are not strong we need help. And life scares us. <laughs> We're more scared than you think, ladies. We don't always talk about it because we don't always think it does that much good. And plus, we don't always talk about it because we don't want to scare you. But life is fearful for us. And God has made this woman the easier, the helper. And when his hands shake and his arms feel weak, she comes to him as a divine grace and she holds his arms 
and steadies his hands so that he may be the warrior in life God's called him to be. You are an avenue and a sacramental expression of divinity to him. There will be times when he will feel like a failure and you will be his only cheerleader. And you need to say, I don't care what everybody says, including my mom. You are my hero. And we need that. There's an, the idea of, in Ezer, there's the idea of loyalty and encouragement in the time of weakness and a presence that quiets the nerves and hands that, that, that the warrior, the soldier needs. And so Adam looks at her and celebrates her. This is it. You are what I have been looking for all my life. I am now satisfied. I am now happy. I need to look nowhere else. Hallelujah. Celebration. Now, husband, that's your, that's your calling. Celebrate her uniqueness and role in life to you. Now, let me show you something here. This, this astonished me. And I'm not sure actually what to make of it. I'm, I'm going to put it out there and let you all sort of look at it and evaluate. But look at chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from what? What did God make man out of? Dirt, dust, earth. That's not exactly ennobling, is it? But he breathed into him the breath of life. The noble part of you is the Spirit of God that he breathed into you. Look at chapter 2, verse 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field. What did God make the beast and the birds out of? The earth, the dirt. The ground. But what did God make a woman out of? Totally unique in all of creation, the woman is made from flesh and bone of a person. Everything else, every other animate animate creature is made out of the dust of the earth but your wives were made from flesh and bone and human tissue, thus giving to them an absolute unique distinction in the earth. There's no creature like a woman. I'm I'm telling you, there is nothing like her in the earth. She's weird. (laughs) And I don't mean weird in a bad way. (laughs) But look at this, too. This This also, see, 
in verse, chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust. Now, that's the Hebrew word, yatsar. And it's generally, it's a general term of used like a potter forms clay, fashions clay. He formed the man. Also, once again, chapter 2, verse 19. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed, once again, yatsar, formed. Same word is used for man. He formed us. But when you come to the woman, verse 22, the rib the Lord had taken from the man, he made. This is not yatsar. This is bana, B-A-N-A-H, bana. He crafted her, constructed, he built her. The word is used in Deuteronomy 22 verse 8 when someone builds a new house. Why does God change the wording there? The Hebrew word is different from how he made the man, how he made the, the dog and the animals. He built her, he made them. It's like Okay, now with this one, we're going to take our time. He, it's used, Deuteronomy 22, 8, of building a new house. You got the pattern, you got the idea, the images in your head, and then you go two before by two before, you run the wirings, and everything is just meticulous and magical. The man threw him together. Consider the fascinating, magical, scintillating, all satisfying presence of the female. You're like, whoa, (laughs) whoa, Pastor, let's preach the gospel today. I am preaching the gospel. I'm telling you the incredible marvel of the church of Jesus Christ that he has invested so much into. I'm speaking of Christ in the church. But have you considered how God made the woman to typify and picture the church And have you considered how distinct and unique in the earth that she is? Not made from the dust of the earth, but made from the man. Not formed or fashioned in general, but crafted in particular in such detail. From the top of her hair to the bottom of her feet, she is different and unique. The sound of her voice, a woman's voice is just different. Most propaganda in war is designed to psych out the enemy, but I was interested some years ago to learn, to read about who they, they called her Tokyo Rose. When they wanted to get a woman, when they wanted to reduce the morale of their enemy, they would use the soft, 
and velvety voice of a woman through a loudspeaker or over the radio. And, they, and she would say things in a feminine voice because that got to the guys. At least that was the idea. When Satan wanted to get to Adam, did he go to Adam? No. He went to Eve. And Eve got to Adam. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, Paul writes to the church there who is starting to drift from the moorings of the gospel and the word, and he says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, Satan comes to the church as he came to Eve to seduce and allure her away and to capture her that he may use her. Satan wants the church because if he can get the church to make its voice his voice, then he can penetrate the very citadels of truth and morality in the earth. When a church like the Washington Cathedral in downtown Washington, D.C., the great national cathedral, announces that it will now perform gay marriages, it, will, it is not preaching the gospel where grace can change people who are in sin as it has changed us but now it's going to announce that it will leave people in their sin and announce that their bondage is normal and that their immorality and living outside the covenant is acceptable to the church, then Satan has won a victory there. And Paul says, I'm concerned that the church would be like Eve and be drawn away. The woman is such a unique person in the earth. Have you considered her childbearing miracle abilities to bear in her body to carry for nine months the right temperature? I mean... He's got, you've got to have the right temperature, right? <laughs> There's a built-in thermostat. How does that work? We have to make thermostats, but inside the woman's body, it's automatic. There is an automatic food source inside the woman's body. She's like a refrigerator, sort of. Get, don't get me wrong. But there's like everything the baby needs. It just takes. It's just fed constantly. And they just keep growing because they keep eating. 
and their bed that they lay on. When Mike say it's a water bed. <laughs> the, the capacity of the woman to bear a child. We, we forget. That's a miracle. That's incredible. How can this be? Who is this person that can hold someone like that and carry it like that and provide for it like that and then produce it like that? Who are you? I tell you, if you're married, you you just need to say, wow, I am. you are like a person from another planet. I need to look at you all over again. The exquisite body, so finely detailed, the fascinating femininity that can change the room's mood simply by her entrance without saying a word, simply by the flip of her hair, all of a sudden a fight will break out. (laughs) But I am speaking to you of Christ in the church. So here's three quick lessons. I just want to, I want, first of all, I want to show you how that God made this with all this beauty and dignity and glory and brought him to the man to inspire and help and be a help me to him. Everything she is, God gave to him to help him fulfill his calling in the earth. So is the church. We are designed with such incredible, miraculous gifts and abilities, and God just says, this is for the Son of God. The loyalty that is there, that she brings to him, as Eve was to be the single most devoted person to Adam. Nothing in the earth. This was God's point. There are no animals. There is no other person in the earth that will be to you what she will be to you. This is exclusive intimacy. You will never find one like her. Adam recognizes it. This is incredible that there is one like me. And I give her to you that you may be blessed and you may be glorified together and have dominion, Genesis 1.26, together God blessed them and gave them dominion in the earth. So she inspires him with this deep devotion that she offers to him without hesitation or reservation which none other can give to this one God made. Secondly, the second lesson is he celebrates her as a gift from God. Uh, Genesis 2.23, once again, Adam said, this is it. 
He celebrates her. This is bone of my bone. She's like me. Finally, I have it. And then third, they depend on each other to have dominion. Now this, I've thought about this. Jesus, do we say it this way? my, My language, the language breaks down here. But Jesus needs the church as the head needs the body. I give you Ephesians 1.22, he has put all things, God has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things for the church, which is his body, the completion or fullness of him. We are his body in the earth. Without us, he has no human connection. Without him, we have no divine connection there. Together, in the new covenant of marriage between Christ and his church, is the most glorious gospel that the mind of man could ever entertain. And we can only catch glimpses of its glory. It will take eternity for us to measure it. And here is the point that I want to make, and that is that as Eve was brought in her purity and devotion to Adam, she was not to follow another. She was to be faithful to Adam because he had no one else. And today there are many churches that are abandoning the Son of God and saying that there are many ways to heaven, that Jesus is one of those ways, but he's like Muhammad, he's like Confucius, he's like another. Wait, I'm speaking to Christ and the church. Adam and Eve, God designed this to be specifically and and underscored emphatically by showing there's nothing else here for you, Adam. She is for you and you are for her. And she is the only one who is fully yours. Dr. James White speaks of the fact that 78%, this is in 2006, 78% of new college students believe that abortion should be legal. So we think about these things. We think about Eve and Adam, how she was made for him to stand with him, to be the easier. How is the church the easier of Jesus? How do we inspire him? How do we bless him? How do we bring to him our praises? Well, this is what we are designed to do. And if we don't do it, it will not be done. We are now the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is now 
alone in its witness to Jesus? See, I think of that moment in Texas uh, 35 years ago. We had not been married long. And the church that I had pastored while I was in seminary um, had another pastor, and I'm not sure what his motive was, but he didn't like me. Can you imagine somebody not liking me? And so he actually got a petition up to get rid of me and asked me to resign, which I didn't want to be there anyway, to be honest. So when they showed me the petition, I said, oh, okay, so this means that I have to leave? And I signed it. <laughs> I said, I'll be glad to go. But a couple of guys came and said, Pastor, they do this every time a, pa- a new pastor comes. Do not leave. Because I was very distraught. I was very depressed. I was very discouraged. I felt totally like a failure. And I went home, and I was in my bedroom, and I cried. Now, that's embarrassing. And Jan comes in. And she puts her arms around me. And I said, I am a failure. And she said, no, you're not. Now, I was. (laughs) I was a failure. But she said, no, you're not. You're not a failure. And she took my face in her hands like that. You're not a failure. Now, at the moment, I didn't really think about that. And it didn't really help at the moment that much. What helped was when the vote came, they voted to keep me. That helped a lot. <laughs> but over the years, I've looked back at that moment at the, when it just seemed like I was at the bottom. And she, when it seemed like no one else stood with me, I got a petition, no one wants you here. She stood with me. But I'm speaking of Christ in the church. Ladies, stand with Him. That's why you're there. Men, celebrate her. Because when a marriage works spiritually and properly and illustrates Christ in the church, it is the most, it's, a, it's a divine kingdom on earth. But know this, church, that we are called to be totally devoted to Jesus Christ. Let me, let me read you this letter. This is from a book called When a Nation Forgets God by Erwin Lutzer, and it's a letter that he found written by Albert Einstein to Time magazine in 1940 at the outbreak of World War II. He, Einstein was in Germany. And here's what he said. He later came to the United States and helped develop the atom bomb. But when he was in Germany, here's what he wrote. He said, When the Nazi revolution came and I looked to the universities to defend our freedom, they took refuge in silence. He said, I looked to the great newspapers whose flaming editorials had proclaimed their love of freedom in time past, but they were silenced. I, I appeal to the intellectual guides of Germany, the scientists, teachers, and doctors is what I'm assuming he means. But it was only the church that stood square 
in the path of Hitler's campaign to suppress truth. Only the church. He said, I never felt any special interest in the church. But now he said, I must say I feel a great affection and admiration for her because the church alone had the courage and persistence to speak the truth. And I am forced to confess that what I once despised, I now praise unreservedly. Wow. Oh, if the church can just stay devoted to Jesus, even when Jesus is rejected by the majority and his approval ratings are low, we stay faithful. Amen? We stay devoted. We say, Jesus, we're designed for you. I'm speaking of Christ and his church. I want us to pray, and the band is going to come and close with a final song. Ask God to give you grace and strength to stand with us and that we would stand with Him. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, send Your Holy Spirit to us, I pray this day, that we may be strong by the strength of the Holy Spirit and be the true helpmeet to the Lord Jesus Christ as You have called Him to have authority and dominion in the earth May we share that with him and bring forth many children to his honor and his name. And it's in his name we pray.